Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, January 5th, 2023. What? A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Happy New Year, Happy Monica. Happy New Year. You enjoying our weather? Oh my goodness, cats and dogs. We haven't done a weather report in a while, I feel like, but we have weather. It is a bomb the, cyclone. I think the whole nation oh, I know. is hearing about our weather our systems. Weather. Our second giant storm of four in three weeks, I think. I want to say it's just rain, but for all of you who are thinking, it's just rain, California, it is a monster amount of rain. Our New Year's Eve rain was the second rainiest day in California. California in California in San Francisco history we got almost six inches we were just shy of the record it's very exciting all the meteorologists were very excited I know they normally don't have anything to talk about they try so that's the problem is that we got a lot of rain all at once and then we're getting a lot more and everything's saturated and full yeah so stay safe people don't drive your cars through six inches of water yeah I don't I don't know. It just doesn't look Was like there it. any flooding when you were on your way over here? No, but lots of down trees. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's not as many trees in my neighborhood, so we've been less worried. And we're not in really a flood area. We have lots of trees. We're on a hill yeah. also, so that means there's a lot of runoff. Mm. And so neighbors had major flooding like through the back of their houses where the water just oh. kind, of, kind of came down off the mountain. New rivers. New rivers through the living room and through the living room well through a tv room and into the garage oh no yeah yeah oh wow just buckets and buckets of water but a new year and i got i got to have boy one home for a hot for a hot second and then he took off and drove to florida and did it in like 54 hours so 19 year old boys are wacky super wacky but he's having a fun time now what an adventure. What an adventure. And yeah, we've been keeping busy. So we're going to be talking. We'll do the regular things. We're going to do our year review within our normal segments of On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, and On the Nightstand. And then we'll talk about our goals. We don't really do resolutions, I would say, so much as like things we hope to accomplish. Mine are are more like, I have an idea. (laughs) And then I promptly forget it come February 1st. Well, we're going to write it down. We're going to write it down. And maybe I, I think I tried to be more realistic this year. Sometimes I just do terrifically well <laughs> yes you can if you want i have kept my goals in the show notes and they they follow along and they don't get published every episode but they right. are in my notes and now that you have access it online, might nudge me if you keep them there then my... you can look and you can update them i find that very satisfying so of course you do yes i do my librarian friend yes and then we will have on the horizon where we get into our goals and resolutions and ideas all that good stuff yeah <laughs> ideas it. is like business casual for <laughs> goals like we're not holding ourselves to a super high standard these are things we would ideally like to accomplish and if they don't happen that's okay 
world still turns. Exactly. So Life's still good. Yeah. These are things that I think I would like to have happen that I'm sort of planning to make happen. It's nice to put it down so I remember that I wanted to make these things happen. But if they didn't, there would be a very good reason. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. I there think that's go. totally fine. Yes. So, all right. On the needles then. Here we go. I knit 20,638 yards in 39 projects. I know. It's, it is up from the past year. Very <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. My most yardage was my newspaper pullover, which was 1,600 yards, which is interesting that the blanket was less than that sweater. Wow. Yeah. Not much, but a little That's bit. That's brioche for you. Yes. The least amount of yardage was a beanie, a baby beanie that I did that had 92 yards. I love, I got all these nice stats from Ravelry. It was fun. I, I did not yeah. like try and figure these out. They made me a nice graph. <laughs> I did 10 sweaters, although one of them was a baby sweater and three of them were t-shirts and two of them I had started the previous year, but still they were finished objects. 10 shawls and cowls, seven pairs of socks and five hats, and then a bunch of gnomes and other random items. So it was a pretty good knitting year. I did continue to keep track of my yardage in and yardage out. And I'm not going to discuss the total amount because it was a lot more in than out, which was not the goal. However, I felt like I used a lot of my yarn from the year. Like if I bought something for a specific project, most of it got used. I used a lot of my stitches yarn. You need to sort of think about it because like if I buy four skeins of yarn for a sweater, but I use three and a half, I'm still going to be, you know, in the red, black, whichever way it is, the, <laughs> the bad way. I, never, I was not an accounting major. Librarian, not an accountant. Exactly. But I feel like I've used that yarn. Right. So I need to decide if, how I'm going to continue to account account for that. Yes, exactly. That's the word. But I did really well with my knitting goals. So I wanted to use three sweater stashes, and I did that. I wanted to finish up three whips, and I more than did that. And I wanted to use three club kits, and I more than did that. So I felt really good about all of that. The sweater yarn was all from Stitches. Hooray! So, yes. And stitches, here we come. I like know, so I'm ready to go. Two months. I'm not. I gotta, like, finish something. <laughs> I mean, theoretically. Oh, yeah, you gotta finish your shawl so you can wear it. Right. Okay, you've got Because it's so, like... Yeah. It's so colorful. It's such a riot of colors that really stitches is the best place to wear <laughs> People, Because people will appreciate it there. Right. Okay, yeah. I'm adding that to my ideas. Yes. You can have an on-the-needles goal. Okay. Yeah, so I feel good about what I have accomplished, even if I didn't make my like numbers goal, which wasn't so much a goal as a keep things in mind. I do feel like I did that. So yeah, so I finished my tea pullover by Hohi Locatelli in the Machete Shop Dirty DK in the colorway Eucalyptus, which is a lovely kind of sagey green with blue speckles all over. It's amazing. There's this gorgeous cable up the front and back that you have laced together with the endlessly long I-cord <laughs> that you had to do. I had enough yarn, so that was very exciting. I had to undo my swatch to have enough yarn, 
but yeah. I had enough yarn. And at the end, my eye cords were extra long, which was a little annoying, but it ended up fine. And it's super comfy. I've worn it a ton since I finished it. It looks great. Courtney got to it's see so it. It's so clever. Yeah, it's very comfy. It fits perfectly. I'm super happy. It was a great, great finish for the year, I think. And then I did a quick little baby hat for a work friend that had a baby. <laughs> so I made a hat. I did a Le Snap, but uh, no, that's what I'm calling the project. It's a Snap Hat by Tin Can Knits, which is available in a bajillion sizes. And you hold four skeins of fingering weight yarn together to knit the hat. So it ends up at like a worsted weight. So it goes really quickly. And then you can swap out a strand at a time. So you get this you can do a rainbow effect. You can, it's all marled. It's beautiful. It's super fun. It's great for using up stash, which is what I did. I had last year received as a prize from Knit Style Yarns her, it was like a 12 days of Christmas countdown, and I made a scarf with it. And I still had a bunch of the yarn left over. It was called A Sweet Christmas, and so it's all these really bright candy colored colors. So perfect for a little kid. So I kind of made it in a rainbow. So I held all uh, like a the pink and the orange and the yellow together and then swapped it out for a green and then the blue. And so I used up so much of that leftover yarn, which was great and helped my numbers very much. And then I just think it looked really, really pretty. You know, it took a hot second to knit. So that was fun. Got that mailed off. And then I had two gnomes. The first was the mystery gnome for this year which was called Gnome Made Gifts. And it's by Sarah Shira, also known as Imagine Landscapes. And I had bought one of the kits from the Loopy U, which was the Dream in Color Smooshy in the... It's not exactly a colorway, so it was called Rudolph's Favorite. So it was a Christmas red, a Christmas green, a very, very light gray, a kind of olive green, and then a teal aqua speckle. So... Mostly traditional Christmassy colors, but not entirely, which made it kind of fun. So this was a mystery knit along throughout the month of December, and it was very mysterious. We made like three different hats and a messenger bag, and then we got to the gnome, and the whole point of it was that you could swap out the hats. So she has different hats that she can wear. So very adorable. The hats are really the most fun part of probably knitting the gnome. So that's that was the, that's the one that you said so many accessories. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, because she has three hats and a bag and a scarf too. We started off with a scarf and everyone everyone was very, very confused. And then people were worried like we were just knitting hats because they hadn't done one of the mysteries before. Like, what, do we actually get a gnome or are these just accessories? No, no. So we did get a gnome. She turned out very cute. She's been added to my little gnome decor for the, the holiday season. So that, that was a good, good mystery. It's only a little bit of knitting and it's not even every day. So it's very easy to keep up with if you are interested in trying it in the future. And then I made another gnome for my mom for Christmas. I think this is the third year I've made her one. And I used the adventure gnome pattern also from Sarah Shira. And I was going to use leftover yarn because I had this really nice nitpick stroll tweed in barn door, which is like a dark red. And I thought I had some leftover tweedy green somewhere, but I couldn't find it. But I had had this vision in my head for a while. So I had to order some more tweed yarn. <laughs> Luckily, they only come in 50 gram skeins. So I didn't have to order quite as much as I would as if it was a, 
a full 100 grams game. So I got a white, in, which is called Dalmatian, so it has little little speckles, and then Sequoia, which is a nice foresty green, also Tweety. So it was much more subdued Christmas colors. I did stripes, but you do like the first row of one of the stripes, you purl it, so it's stripes and texture. Super fun. This is the, the pattern that has like five different hats, five different bodies, multiple beards. So I had done the Adventure Gnome when it first came out, and this one is the one I did for my mom. Is I picked totally different options, so it looks completely different. So that was really fun as well. And she added that to her collection. And then as of yesterday, I have another finished object. I did not update my show notes, but I will. I finished my Advent scarf from last year. Oh my goodness. Yes. So last year I started it. It was going to be giant. It took me three times to get it started because it was like 400 stitches. Provisional cast on. I couldn't get it to be not twisted. This year I said, forget it. I have a different plan. So I ripped the whole thing out, recast it on in the smaller size. It was only 200 and something stitches. So tiny, but it worked out great. I planned out my colors. It's beautiful. It was so much fun to knit. It alternates between uh, Japanese stitches, so lots of cables and twisted stitches, and there's some baubles, and then a colorwork section. And there's three of each, and then you're going to fold the cowl in half, and it'll be reversible, and it's gorgeous. I'm really happy. It's upstairs blocking now. So the knitting is finished. I still need to, to seam it together, but it, I'm just really very excited about how it turned out. And uh, very pleased that I that I made that happen. So that was exciting. And then I have two new projects that I am working on. The first is a mystery knit along, the Wintertide Socks by Sibia Harding, and the yarn is from Mustache Yarn. They're everyday DK, and this started the day after Christmas. And the yarn, the colorway is called Homecoming, and it's a Little Women knit along because I think. The dad comes home at Christmas. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that's the homecoming. It's this beautiful striping colorway. And she created four solids to go with it. And so you got to pick which of the daughters you wanted to be your accompaniment. Amy, Meg, Joe, Beth, which exactly? Did you pick? I went with Amy because it was the blue. Okay. Very popular. There was a lot of us Amy lovers. There was a green and an peachy orange and a like white beigey one. They're all really beautiful. So it's been fun to see the different color combinations and the stripes are just gorgeous. There's a ton of different colors in there. They're all kind of muted, not pastel but like bright pastels maybe. Just really lovely fun to do. It's toe up and we are embroidering snowflakes all over them. So it's been a really nice mellow post Christmas knit that I am enjoying very much. And then I started a, another sweater, the Cozy Classic Raglan by Jessie Made Designs. This is my first sweater by her. Um, she has a ton of patterns that I've been eyeing for a while. They are very popular. They're really simple. I mean, it's, it's a basic raglan sweater, but the pattern is super well written. I think it's, I should probably try it on at some point, but it looks like it's gonna fit really well. So for this one, she calls for holding together a skein of fingering and a skein of lace silk mohair. Very popular, but it makes a nice fluffy soft sweater. So when we were on our field trip, I found that pink yarn at the Royal Bee and I had this vision, like this is what I want to do with it. I want to 
it's just this beautiful pink. It's like a ballet pink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I this is the sweater I wanted to make with it. So I went home, was looking for some mohair to hold with it. It was after Thanksgiving, so everyone was having their sales. So I ended up with three skeins of loft from the neighborhood fiber company uh, in the colorway Victorian Village, which is a similar ballet pink. It is just knitting, 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 knitting. And I had had plans for maybe knitting something more complicated, like a cabled sweater, something interesting. And then I realized that we were going to be doing our Lord of the Rings watch along. And last year we added the Hobbit series in as well. And we have the extended versions of everything. (laughs) So I was going to be watching a lot of TV over six nights. It seemed like if I was ever going to knit this sweater, this was the time to get it started. Yeah. Because, and it was. So I am. Just autopilot. Yeah. Just knitting, knitting. I mean, it was perfect. So I think I probably have about four inches done of the body, which if I follow the pattern, I only have about two and a half more inches of knitting and then I go into the ribbing. I think I'm going to make it a little longer because I am not really a cropped sweater person, even slightly cropped. I know it's the style. I am not that person. So yeah, I need to get some more TV (laughs) knitting in because it's not exciting knitting, but it is very rewarding. And it's going to yield a really wearable sweater, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be great, I think, for going out because it's a little bit soft and fluffy. I think it'll look a little bit fancy or it can just be total curl up at home. I'm very excited about it. So I think getting that much of it started was really good because now I do want to finish it. I think if I if I didn't have all that TV knitting and hadn't made such progress, I'd be like, do I want to be knitting this? No. So, but yeah, no, I'm super motivated. And uh, it's been a fun couple of weeks. And then, yeah, we'll see what comes next. Awesome. How about you? What is on easel? Well, last year at this time, I had plans for a big curriculum of still lives and landscapes. And I... I didn't really get into it formally, I think. I definitely painted a bunch of landscapes from Landscape Art Club. That was very helpful. And I also painted many, many birds. I don't know how many. Some of them made it into the Instagram and some of them are just in my sketchbook. I did a couple pieces for gallery shows and that was wildly satisfying. They were bird related, shocker. I did several commissions, some of which I shared and some of which I didn't. Super happy with the work that I produced for those, including very recent ones. I licensed a piece of art to a company for a greeting card, which is out in the wild now. The card is from last year's calendar and it's just the record player, the like leggy record player. And the card can be found at TJ Maxx, Home Goods, and Marshalls internationally. Very exciting. And it's a birthday card? It's a birthday card. It's, it's adorable. A, it's a, it comes with like a sticker and a cute lined envelope. I'm really happy the company that licensed it is Orange Circle Studios, and they were incredible to work with. And this is kind of just me dipping my toe into that licensing world and seeing how it goes. It was really rewarding. I also painted 
an entirely new calendar for this year and sold out of those within like 36 hours. I was very happy about that because there's, I don't need extra calendars. I just need my one. Yeah, that was my, my year in art. And it felt when I looked back at the calendar of what I had accomplished, it felt like everything picked up around May, June. I definitely had a slower springtime and was still sort of on the mend after losing my dad and my mother-in-law, I think, from the year the year prior. So I feel like this year ended really, the second half of this year ended really strongly, which has me a little more optimistic about making goals for 2023 or I sharing my ideas for 2023. So what's on the easel these days was that I had this super top secret commission that I couldn't talk about in all of December because it was for a friend of ours and her husband reached out to me after Monica's birthday and asked me to paint some birds for his wife. And I was so excited and very nervous to paint for her because she said she really liked my birds, but I was doing something a slightly little bit different and <laughs> it was just kind of nerve wracking. And then her husband framed them. He's a woodworker and he did the most beautiful, natural, waxed frames. And oh my gosh, what a huge... I mean, the birds look incredible in these frames. <laughs> I'm more in love with the frames. So, hi, Kelly. <laughs> that was the most delightful thing to work on, but it was really hard to keep it a secret because I usually talk about things like that with Monica, and I wasn't sure. I, I just, I'm so glad that that is, I'm not good at secrets. And you put those on Instagram, right? Um, I those did. are the ones, yeah, I saw them. I was like, oh, for them because yeah because yeah, we hadn't talked about it. I mean I knew that you were doing it but yeah I hadn't no details were imparted Kelly sent me a picture of her holding all three birds Aww. like cradling them like a set of triplets oh super charming I love how they came out I did do more of a background on those because I wanted them to be like I wanted the th three birds are really different there's yeah. a cedar wax wing um a Stellar's Jay, and then her husband chose um, a Pine Grosbeak, and they're really different colors, and so I use the backgrounds to kind of help unite them mm -hmm. as a threesome. So the first two birds that Kelly and I had talked about at something like five years ago, <laughs> those came together really quickly, and then I r sort of struggled a little bit with the Grosbeak. In the end, I end up loving the Grosbeak. Not that I can pick favorites, but I don't know. It was fun. Right now, I have I have a couple more little paintings that I'm finishing up for my family. And tomorrow is Epiphany, and my husband's family celebrates Epiphany because that's when the three kings made it, you know, late, I guess, to Bethlehem. But they bring wisdom. And so in the family, we do books on epiphany but i'm also going to add in a couple little paintings with the epiphany celebration tomorrow nice. so that's kind of fun you know in looking back on last year's goals and one of the things i think i was trying to achieve by working on landscapes and still lives was to have less white space 
really push myself to think about the composition as a whole. And so right now I'm doing lots of studies in my sketchbook with backgrounds and patterns and that kind of thing. And so I'll talk about that a little bit more with goals, but I've already started thinking about what's next. I'm excited to paint. It's going to be a great year. Cool. All right. On the table. So this was not my most successful goal setting experience for this year. Did you cook though? I did cook. (laughs) Yes. But I want, yeah. So my, my goals for last year was to make a gluten-free pie crust three times and I did it twice and to do three recipes from the great British Bake Off and I made two. So it's fine. I mean, I could. It's pretty great. (laughs) 66% for both of them. Very good. I'm okay with it. So I will keep those goals in my in my mind going forward, just because they were kind of fun. It is enjoyable to, you know, do a a kind of extravagant bake every once in a while. So I like to, to keep that in mind. My husband would agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, like the two times that I did make the gluten-free pie crust, I did realize this is actually pretty easy. So I feel that if there is a moment... When I need one, I won't be as worried about doing it myself. And it, it was nice because most of the, the frozen ones are like an eight inch circle and not a deep dish. And a lot of recipes call for something bigger than that. So it'd be nice to, to have a pie crust of the correct size. So, Excellent. Yeah. I did do some cooking over the holidays. I need, first of all, I need apple recipes if anybody has anything, because I did a grocery delivery and I thought I said three apples and actually, apparently I picked the three bags of apples option. So I have a lot of Granny Smith apples. I made a big batch of applesauce for myself and for a pork tenderloin, which probably isn't in your future. But then I stir the applesauce into my oatmeal every day. Oh, that's a good idea. We do have oatmeal eaters. Yeah, so I did an apple crisp that was delicious, and um, I mean, we've been snacking on them because they're really good. And then a husband was away for a music thing, so I was very excited to do... I'm laughing because I know the spoiler. I was going to do a meat and gluten recipe for Boy 2 and I, and I was very excited because I meant I could pick one, a meat and gluten recipe from the Smitten Kitchen Keepers to review. And so I picked chicken and dumplings and I forgot and used gluten-free flour in my dumplings. <laughs> I was so annoyed with myself because I'd mixed it all up and threw it in there. I was like, what? No. And they were, it, it was fine. It was delicious, but I just, I bet it could have been amazing. <laughs> amazing. But the chicken part was great. And then We had a little change in our usual meal for Christmas Eve. I usually host that for the family. And we do lobster, which is my husband's family's tradition, although he does not eat the lobster anymore because he's vegetarian. But the rest of us enjoy it very much, except for boy two, who does not like lobster, and my nephews and my (laughs) brother-in-law. It's like... (laughs) It's down to like a third of you that eat the lobster then, huh? Well, yes, except that, so then then this year, no, because there's my parents and then often 
Simon's brother and his family will all come. So it brings the numbers back up. It varies, however many. We had many, many lobster. It was majority lobster because my sister and her family decided to stay home this year. And so Boy 2 was the only non-vegetarian, non-lobster person. And in the past, we've done French bread pizza. And then one year, we had frozen stromboli. Yum. And then last year, because there were four of them, I made stromboli, which was great. But I was not going to do that just for one person. It felt like it just would be too much. I don't think it reheats terribly well. Stromboli? The bread bread part? Oh, yeah. It's great. All right. Well, anyway, I decided it would be much easier to just make him a lasagna. (laughs) Obviously, that would be easier. So this is an old lasagna recipe. I think it's from Cooking Light from a million years ago, but it makes it in an eight by eight pan with the no boil noodles. So it is super easy. And the original recipe doesn't call for any meat, but I said, forget that and um, cooked up some sausage beforehand and threw it in there as well. So he had his own little eight by eight pan of lasagna. He was super happy. Simon had his, I made the special roasted sweet potatoes for him that continued to be amazing and delicious. And the rest of us had our lobster fest, and it was delicious. So good. I so hope good. all of you heard that texture change in your voice. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> really good. And then I've been working from Dinner in One by Melissa Clark. And it is one pan, either a sheet pan or a casserole dish. She has a couple of Instant Pot and slow cooker recipes in there. Soup, you know, so anything that we put together in one pan. And I think they're also supposed to be in one hour or less. So I made the red wine mushroom risotto in the Instant Pot for New Year's Eve, which was very tasty. Although I had to leave out the pancetta, but it was okay. It was nice because she says, if you want to make it vegan or vegetarian, she gives you ideas about how, you know, what to sub in or what to leave out. So this one, she's like, just throw in more mushrooms. So it was great. And you, you do all the sauteing in the Instant Pot and so super easy, very delicious. I made a spiced Brussels sprouts with paneer and lime vinaigrette, which was also very tasty. Yeah, so I think you put like cumin and caraway and roast the Brussels sprouts, roast them for a little while, and then chop up some paneer, which is um, Indian. I think it's it's like a cheese. Um, it's like one of the non-melting cheeses, so it's very hearty like and delicious. A, like halloumi or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So then you throw that on the pan. And then at the end, you dump a lime vinaigrette over the whole thing and to give it some brightness and tanginess. And it was very tasty. And I made some sausage on the side for the for the boy because I didn't think he would be super excited about just Brussels sprouts and cheese, although he likes both of those things. And then the other thing she does in a couple of different places in that book is she'll have two recipes that are one is a carnivore version And then one is the vegetarian version. So last night I made stuffed mushrooms and one of them was stuffed with sausage and one of them was stuffed with hummus and topped with chickpeas and was really fantastic and spices and sumac. She used sumac in that. It was delightful. And for both of them, you roast them along with broccolini and cherry tomatoes. So it was nice because you're kind of, you're mostly doing the same thing. And it felt like we were all eating the same meal. I got to have one of each. Everyone else got two of their thing. And so it worked out really well. So I'm very much enjoying that book. I like her cookbooks. They're really cookable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so last year, my food plan was to cook. <laughs> and did you cook? I cooked. Yay! The end. Well done. Check. Yeah. yeah. I think that's all we can really ask of ourselves. You know, in these trying times of COVID and COVID surges and not eating out and kids at home and holy catfish even the kids not being at home it's like i just can't be bothered (laughs) it's a lot of cooking and i feel like that is what's in my future too it's it's hard to get jazzed about it except that there are awesome cookbooks out there and that's Mm. what gets me excited and in the i have a friend coming to stay my friend kelly from the east coast i'm really excited because she is a kitchen person and so that means we're gonna do like appetizers night and we're gonna have mushroom risotto night and you know all of those fun things because i could use a little excitement in the in the kitchen yeah and cooking with someone is often for sure all that you need to make it exciting so when i wrote up my notes about what i had been doing i had completely forgotten about my younger son's dinner party until you mentioned the lasagna so (laughs) he had a dinner party he had a dinner party for his friends cooked by mostly yours truly but he did help me with the lasagna because he requested meat lasagna side of brussels sprouts with pancetta and chocolate chip cookies wow that was his menu of choice i was happy to oblige for the most part although it is a lot of work (laughs) I made the bolognese from scratch with like teeny tiny little carrot cubes and just a monster amount of sauce that I thought was going to get us through a lasagna and then like spaghetti and meatball night, basically. Mm. it ended. We ended up using it all in the lasagna. Wow. It was a huge amount. Well, these boys eat a lot. But all I have to say about this is that lasagna making goes so much faster when you have a helper and i told matthew you are my forever lasagna helper now because now that i know how much faster it is with two people that was the dinner party and then for christmas i had not hosted christmas in three years i think and i had a crazy amount of host host anxiety Like, will we have enough food? Is this going to be done on time? Where's the platter for the... Oh my gosh, I was so out of practice. I was an actual mess. (laughs) I did my... My normal Christmas menu is beef tenderloin with horseradish, cream sauce, scalloped potatoes. And then in the past, we have done carrots or Brussels sprouts. And then I used to do this... beautiful roasted head of cauliflower that I just couldn't, I could not summon the energy for this year because it's like a four-step thing. That I scratched from the menu. We overbought on beef tenderloin, which is an expensive sort of mistake. We ended up eating it. Like for <laughs> like I feel like that will get eaten. <laughs> days afterward, yeah. But we're not a huge beef household, mm. so it was kind of like, all right, already on the cow. I also messed up the ratio with the horseradish cream. It needed like another entire jar of horseradish, if you ask me. The carrots came out great, although I accidentally added part of the dill to the scallop potatoes because I was just in like chopping herb mode. And the scalloped potatoes were fine. 
probably made a few too many. All to say, uh, I'm, I was so out of practice. I think that was my huge takeaway from it all was that my notes from Christmas past were like three years old. Mm. And we do keep good notes about how much we bought, what was eaten, all of that just for, for yeah. our future selves. Yeah. Anyhow, done and over with. Then this week we made some warm, cozy foods because atmospheric river, cyclone bomb, whatever you want to call it. Yep. So I did a turkey chili. Oh, I pulled out the America's Test Kitchen family cookbook. I have a kid who's going to be in his own apartment next year. And so I've been trying to think about which cookbook is going to help him with a few tips and tricks. This one is maybe a little too much of a brick for him, but, um, but it has some great, solid, basic tasty recipes have you thought about this just just occurred to me and not to stress you out but maybe making him your own cookbook of things you think he could handle and would like um that is a great idea and it did cross my mind i mean you have some time we have some time and i actually want to cook with him mm -hmm. you know he needs to know yeah. a bowl a good bolognese sauce he needs to know how to spatchcock a chicken some basic things like that that he would get some mileage out of um, but it's also got me thinking, well, he's going to need a knife set and he needs a cast iron skillet that's well seasoned and I could season it for the, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> but do I want to send a beautiful cast iron skillet off to, yeah, yeah he's going to ruin it. That's a thought. Maybe scratch that. Yeah. I pulled out this cookbook with the hope of getting a little bit of inspiration and I made a batch of turkey chili on the fly. And I say on the fly because if I had had a day or even, I mean, I think I started it at five o'clock in the evening or maybe three, not long enough to soak some beans is my point. So this turkey chili had awesome spice, uh, awesome spice blend that I will definitely make again. And next time I'm going to soak some beans for it because it was a great chili uh, recipe. And I did my typical cornbread, although added a little bit of extra sour cream. And that made it a lot of difference. I think it was probably maybe a third a cup extra, but it was the most delicious cornbread. And when I went to go look for it the next day and it was gone, that never happens. There's always some left. <laughs> so that was a win. And then last night I made Hungarian goulash. Oh, fun. This is from the Wayback Machine. Adam's aunt came to visit us last weekend, and we pulled out a cookbook that the family had made for him for his first apartment, which is why I'm thinking about oh. one for Nathan. Um, and one of her favorite recipes from that cookbook was a Hungarian goulash. And I have to say, I don't think I'd ever made it before. For those like me who had to look it up, the the sauce is like a roasted red pepper base. I used a combination of the recipe from America's Test Kitchen and from Auntie Rita and came up with this amazing slow-cooked in the Dutch oven, oh my gosh, fall apart, tender, gorgeous meat stew. I, I didn't add potatoes or anything like that because my guys really wanted it with egg noodles. And so it was more like a sauce as opposed to a stew. 
the test kitchen says to puree the roasted red peppers with the tomato paste and a little bit of vinegar and a ton of sweet paprika. This was devoured. I made like a compound honey butter to put on some bread to go with it. Cleaning the plate with the bread and the butter and the, oh, it was, it was really good. Not the most light of recipes. It, it's definitely a stick to the ribs kind of a thing. Oh, I and mean, that's what we need with this weather. Yeah, it was super cozy. And that got three thumbs ups. Three thumbs up? Three. That got thumbs up. That was a winner. <laughs> it was a winner. It was a crowd pleaser. So that's what's been on our table. Excellent. On the nightstand, I read 184 books last year. Ta-da! So I don't need to set any reading goals. <laughs> As far as numbers go, I did mostly well on my my goals that I did set. I'm still processing 184 books. Yeah, it was a lot. I think I was at, I was like at 175 or something at the beginning of December or early in the month, mid mid December. And for a hot second, I was I was thinking, can I get to 200? But then I had a couple of really big chunky books, and it just did not happen, which is fine. I feel like 184 is a very respectable number. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Courtney's just staring at me. I don't even, I don't, I don't understand. I I'm don't not know really how. that surprised because for two of my books, you have 10. That's not entirely accurate, but it's a little <laughs> bit accurate. I have a lot of time to read yeah. and I, I can sit down and spend an afternoon reading one book and like, you know, if it's a fast genre of fiction thing, I'm going to get through it in four or five hours, right? So, right. and I, I enjoy doing that. So I do. And then I do audiobooks and yeah. Yeah. So I have time. But my goals were to read three nonfiction books, three classics, and three books in translation. And I did very well on the nonfiction and the translation. And I only had two classics. And one of them was pushing the definition of classic. I think it's a classic, but it's not perhaps a... Which one are, is pushing the definition? The Sun and Splendor. Oh. I think it's a classic of historical fiction. Yeah, But it is sure. probably not going to get taught in like English 101. Although Indiana is probably also not going to get taught in, in English 101 because it is French. But... <laughs> Oh, and that one that one was a double, actually. Hmm. I had quite a few nonfiction and many books in translation. So I feel I feel good about both of those. I don't know. There's just so many good new books out that it, it felt it felt difficult to go back and read a, a classic. So we'll see. It's, you know, kind of something I'm still interested in because you had quite a few good ones that you read the year before. Yeah. Yes. So Middle I still, March. I know. I still and I and I do want to read them, but again, they're big chunky books. I recommend it on audio. Yeah. Although that one I, I did, I did dual. Oh, if you'll remember. Nice. Yeah. And then for as far as what I read over the past month, as you might guess, there are a few, more than a few. So what I'm going to do because a lot of them were parts of series. This is your opportunity to go get a cup of tea and <laughs> so I'm gonna Monica's gotta No, so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go through the titles and the authors and there's a couple books where like I have to tell you something about it, but it'll be very brief. And I've got like four books that are single serve, 
really good. I'm super excited about those. I'm going to talk about in more detail. And then if you want to stick around after we say goodbye, I'm going to go through them, the genre ones again in a little bit more detail, not a ton, but if you want to hear a little bit more about them. So that way you can be both not bored, (laughs) hopefully, but if you do want to hear more, you will be able to, and I can get the thoughts out of my head. So I kept on with my Christmas books. I had three additional Christmas murder mysteries. The Christmas Cupcake Murder by Joanne Fluke, which is number 26 in the series and features recipes for cupcakes and cookies. That's fun. Yeah. So you might want to stick around for a little more information about that one. Murder in the First Edition by Lauren Elliott, which is number three in a series that is currently up to eight. And the detective owns a bookstore. Very lovely. Christmas is Murder by C.S. Shalinor, which is, I don't know what, number something in the Rex Graves series. And those were all delightful. And then I did a couple of Christmas romance ones. A Very Merry Bromance by Lissa K. Adams, which is number five in the Bromance Book Club series. And it was delightful. And Just Like Magic by Sarah Hoggle, which is uh, actually that one's a standalone and was pretty hilarious and delightful as well. And then some additional murder mysteries. So Pretty a Problem by Frances Duncan, which is another one in the Mordecai Tremaine series. That was the first Christmas murder mystery that I read in the last episode. And this is a regular one because I'm enjoying that series, which I guess was published in like the 50s and then republished about five years ago. And then Murder at Black Oaks by Philip Margolin, which is part of the Robin Lockwood series. And he apparently decided he wanted to throw as many of the murder mystery tropes into one book as possible. So that's pretty hilarious. And then a romance, Paris Dallincourt is ready to crumble by Alexis Hall, which is the second in the romance series where the the main characters are on a reality baking show based on Great British Bake Off and is adorable and delightful and hilarious. And then in the fantasy genre, we have Book of Night by Holly Black. And then Before Your Memory Fades by Toshikaza Kawaguchi, translated by Jeffrey Trusolo. That one is the third in a series of the magical cafe where you can time travel. And then Into the Riverlands by Nevo, which is the third in the Singing Hills cycle. It's about 100 pages. It's amazing. Go read it. She's an amazing storyteller. They're all delightful. You can pick up any of that three. There, Because it's a cycle, there's no time frame for any of the books, so it doesn't matter which order you pick them up in, and they're all just I love gorgeous. that idea. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then The Last Crown by Elisabetta Czerzinska. She's Polish, so it's translated by Maya. Mm, I'm not going to get this last name either. Zakrzuska Pym. And is the sequel to The Widow Queen about Sigrid the Haughty, who was a Polish princess, Ooh. and the queen of Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and England. And had... Her sons were kings of all those countries also. Northern Europe around the year 1000. Big chunky book. That was the one I finished the year off with. So if you like historical fiction, that's a good one. All right. Books that can stand on their own. First up, Blue Skinned Gods by S.J. Sindhu. This is the story of Kalki, who is 
born with blue skin and his parents are raising him on an ashram in southern India because they believe he is the 10th and final incarnation of the Hindu god Vishnu. And it starts right before he turns 10. And this is supposed to be a big year for him. He's going to face three challenges. And if he passes them, it will prove his godhood. He does pass the challenges, but he starts to doubt himself. Life starts getting really difficult. So it's kind of a coming of age. It's faith and family and growing up with an abusive parent or emotionally abusive, kind of cult-like. It was really interesting. There are a lot of uh, good emotions and you, it goes from he's 10 to about t- early 20s. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of time passes and, and things that he's going through and, and how you process your experiences. So that one was really interesting. And then next up, The 40 Elephants by Aaron Bledsoe, which I, I think I picked up because it seemed like a companion to Shrines of Gaiety. It takes place uh, kind of at the same time. So London in the 20s has a lot of the same characters. The focus of this one is Alice Diamond, who starts off and she is the daughter of a career criminal and she does a lot of shoplifting and cons and so it's kind of the criminal underworld of London and the the lady who owns all the nightclubs makes an appearance Alice works at one of her nightclubs Alice gets involved with a gang of female thieves the 40 elephants who are also mentioned in Shrines of Gaiety. She doesn't want to be part of a gang, but her brother screws up and so she needs money. So there's kind of two parts to this book, the one where she's involved with the gang and then she does kind of her own thing. And it is based on an actual person who was the leader of, ended up being the leader of this gang. And so there was a lot of adventures and twists and turns and family drama and being your own person and strong female characters. A little more violent than I expected, but they are, to be fair, gang members. So there's a gang (laughs) war. So that one is a really fun one really enjoyable, very interesting. I feel like, you know, 1920s in London is a pretty fun time to read about, I think. And then Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nairi. And I listened to this one. And it is apparently like a middle grade book. But I didn't feel that at all. So I think anybody could read this. I'm not sure if he read it or not. But anyway, the audio was great. So it is the story of Daniel who is 11 and living in Oklahoma, and he is a refugee from Iran. So you get what he's going through at the moment, and then his past history, all his stories, his family stories from Iran and kind of um, Persian myths, and it's all woven together, the refugee experience, and it was just really beautiful. It's hard. There's a lot of hard stuff, obviously, but really great. And as I said, the audio was fantastic. It's just really a nice way to listen to it and easy to keep up with and ops, you know, someone who understand who can pronounce the um, Persian Iranian Farsi words was nice to have because when I was went back and like read the description of the book, there's no way I would have known how to pronounce these names and, and whatnot. So it was really a beautiful, beautiful story. And then the one I just finished tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, five stars, Oh my gosh, everyone it's needs It's on my to... nightstand. Oh, so good. It's really hard. It it takes you on a journey. I had to put this book down for a while because it was too much for me. I don't I don't know that when the last time is that I've had that happen, but then I had to come back because I had to know what happened and it was amazing. So it's it's the story of 
Sam and Sadie, they're childhood friends. They drift apart. They meet back up in college and become video game designers. And it's just the story of their friendship and creativity and work and love and life and just all the things. And you don't need to know anything about video games at all. My mom read this. Hi, mom. You wanted me to read this. And I finally did. And so anyway, and she just knows nothing about games and she thought it was a great book as well. So that is um, part of it, but not not important. It's it's the creativity and the and the friendship and the journey they go on. And uh, it's just everyone. Everyone should go read this book unless you, you don't like good writing. <laughs> so That's awesome. Those are my books. Yeah, I think you'll really like it. Good. It's on my it's on my nightstand. Although that is definitely how I felt about Demon Copperhead. I want everyone to read it yes, so that it we is, can talk about it. It's, I'm working on it. So yeah, so those are my books. And as I said, stick around. I will go over the other ones some more at the end. Thank you. Okay. So last year, my goal for reading was to read less in service of my painting practice. Mm. Last year, I had read 112 books and was not painting as much. And I think that the second half of this year, I definitely achieved that. I only read only 68 books is that's still a lot more of than a book a week. Yeah, It's a little bit slower than my normal reading pace, but I definitely painted more. And it is a trade-off that I will hands down take any day of the week. I mean, it's easy to say read less, but really the goal was to paint more. And I think that I did. So hurrah. Yeah. And the two books that I have for you this week, one of them was just the, well, they, they both had wild things going on. The the first one is Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. Oh, I was looking at that one. And for anybody who's read this, I just want to say The Edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives, and the law is skinny with hunger for us. And for the rest of you, go read it, and you'll see why I read that. Did you read it or listen to it? I read it. Okay. I saw some things like there was a really good audiobook as well. I bet. So I love his writing. I think what sticks with me about this book, that line that I read is actually a real-life line from a friend of his. And when I was doing all of my fiction in my fiction years, undergrad and graduate, one of the exercises that we would often do before we left for a break or the summer was we would, we would give away first lines, like first lines of a story or a poem. And I had this little box full of other people's first lines with their like weird scratchy handwriting. And I don't know what happened to it, but boy, I'd love to find it. And this, this repeated quote from this book makes me think of all my great creative writing classmates. So the story is about Frankie and Zeke, who are middle teen, like high school middle teenagers in the late 1990s in Coalfield, Tennessee. And they are bored because it's summertime Zeke is there because his parents have kind of taken a little separation 
Frankie, her parents too have split up and she has triplet older brothers who are just, <laughs> you know, triplet 19, 18, 19 year olds. Very relatable for me as I have a house full of teens. They're friends and they decide to collaborate on a project and they plaster it all over town anonymously and everyone thinks that it's a cult or people just don't know what to make of it. There's hilarity to it, but also you can see why people are getting stirred up. Flash forward 30 years later or 20 years later, they're still trying to figure out who made these posters and it's a real stir. There's also a line of the story of the plot of perhaps some neurodivergency, which in the late 1990s maybe wasn't super recognized and how that would unfold for someone over the course of time. I think they that I think that Kevin Wilson dealt with it really realistically and was sensitive to it and I don't know this it's it's a romp of a book in a lot of ways and I truly enjoyed it. It was a very fun read. And then Monica has been so patient. I have. Waiting for me to read the Anne Cleves Shetland murder mystery number four, Blue Lightning, which is all about birds. Did you like the birds? I loved this book (laughs) so much. Like, why can't they all be like this? Chock full of rare bird sightings and bird nerds and bird happenings and oh my gosh so the bird stuff was just delightful i loved it the murder mystery part was very weird and unexpected and not like the other cleave mysteries cleaves mysteries and there is a mega twist in this one that is kind of heartbreaking and we're still with jimmy perez and he's still fantastic and he's even more human after this book than he was before and if people are reading the ann cleaves monica was right you gotta get to book four and it's you know i would say that like just read it already however i think it's even more impactful because we do have these care. We understand the backstories. And so now when things happen in book four, they hit, they hit a little differently because you have the backstory. So yes, I am totally hooked now. I experienced this on audiobook, and I'm really glad for that because it allowed me to you know, wrap gifts while I was listening and kind of be my busy uh, Christmas self, self, elf, both work, both work there. So it was just a delightful way to hear the book through the holidays. If you're going to listen to a murder mystery through Christmas time, (laughs) this one just was so, so much. Can I say they were, it was better than the first three? It kind of was. Yeah, no, it was really good. Mostly because of the birds. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I can paint for this episode the bird that featured in mm. 
Blue Lightning, sure. book four of Anne Cleve's Shetland Murder Mysteries. Do you think you'll continue with the series? Yeah. Yeah, because... Well, and it, it does end, right? There's like four more books, and then it ends. That's which, troubling. Again, I still didn't know you could do that, but apparently you can. <laughs> Some people have restraint. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I desperately want to read book five because of the impact. Yes that four left yep yeah so and then you can see what you want to do from there that's right but yeah no i i thought it was a whole it, the whole thing is a nice character arc it's a nice complete saga and i was kind of cranky when that it ended but it also felt like she she brought it to a, a nice conclusion yeah it was very satisfying although a stunner on the horizon goals <laughs> Ideas. I'm, put, I'm putting that in quotes. Oh. So I'm a little bit more all over the place this year. I was very. I had, I had Thank my, whole, God. my whole three of three <laughs> things of three things of three things last year for everything and well not everything but I tried to. So it's a little different. So for my knitting goals, as I mentioned, last year I did three sweaters or I wanted to use up three sweater stashes worth of yarn, which I did, but it was all yarn that I got at stitches, which is fine. That's good. That's great. So I do want to try and go back into a little bit of deeper stash. So theoretically, my goal is sweater yarn from 2021 or earlier. Not that I can't knit sweaters from new yarn or newer yarn or yarn from last year. But I do want to, you know, I have I have piles of, of sweater yarn and ideas and things. So I do want to to move some of that along as well. And then I do want to get back into charity knitting as well and do some hats and some knitted knockers. Those can go to my retreat that I have in April, or at least the knockers definitely can. The hats can as well. I might try and find a different donation site for that just to try and, and do a little bit of giving back. And then quarterly, so four times, I would like to go into my deep stash and knit something from, you know, old yarn because it happened randomly this past year. It was always very satisfying, so I would like to, to kind of make sure that really I don't know. I mean, I could I could I could pick any number. I could say yarn from ten years ago, and I would still have many many options. Um, <laughs> so just you know something that feels like it's been around for a while, and I really need to. It needs to grow up and become something other than a skein. And then I have a couple of kits that are kind of non knitting. Well, two of them are non knitting things but I'm throwing them in here because they're fiber arts related. So one is a cross-stitch kit that I got that in, is about books. So it's oh, fun. obviously related. Yeah, so I got that because it would be super fun. So I do want to try and get that made because otherwise it's just going to sit forever and, and not bring joy to my life. And then I have uh, like a knitted bracelet, beaded bracelet kit that I've had for a while that I've been wanting to make. And then I have a couple of Christmas things. So I got a little, I forget if it's supposed to be crochet or it's just knitting, but it's like three different figures, all the stuff you need to make it, little mini, like a snowman and a Santa or something. And that's just been sitting in a drawer for a while. I would like to get that made. Or a couple, many years ago, I don't even know how many, my parents gave me a 12 Days of Christmas knitted figures book, and I made the partridge in the pear tree. That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> so I would like to maybe make a few more of those, you know, like, ladies dancing and you know it has all the little characters so i think that oh, would that's be fun cute because apparently i've reached the age where i must do cute additional cute decorations 
<laughs> but I do think 12 Days of Christmas would be you know, pretty fun. And uses up scrap yarn and blah, blah, blah. So It would be fun for me to like companion with you on that. And we do, and I do a painting of what you're in, or a collage or something. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk. Okay. I don't have any easel goals. No? No, no easel goals. How about you? Because you might have knitting fiber goals. I have an idea that maybe it would be nice to finish my West Knits 2021. Is that right? Yes. Scarf shawl thing before we go to stitches so that I can wear it at stitches. Because I did wear my color love one. Yeah, yeah. And people were so wonderful. It just completed the experience. So I'm going to look into that. We'll see. My easel ideas for this year include less white space. So working on backgrounds that feel like me, like what is, what's going to be my approach to backgrounds? I could, of course, just paint them one color and be done of it, but I really love details and I need to find a way that satisfies background work that also feels like me. So that's a little bit of what I'm exploring right now. And my, my other goals include getting back into daily work. Not all of it is going to be shareable on Instagram or what have you, but I started this at the beginning of the year and we're already on the fifth. And I just thought, why, why don't I just paint like a living thing every single day until I figure out what I'm going to do? And so I had an elk because I heard something on the radio that talked about an elk. And so like whatever pops up in the, in the daily conversation. And then one day I wasn't even at home and I was running errands and I nearly forgot about my two day old goal to go and paint or draw every day. And I remembered that I had seen these, this little beaver toy in the, in a toy shop window. And so I went up and for 20 minutes just drew with pencil little beavers and they were so cute and that was so fun. And I just need to do that. But I'm kind of out of practice on the day. I'm, I paint a ton, but I really trying to just make the effort to get in there every single day. I have a lot of other ideas for things that I want to create over the next year. One of them being, I'm absolutely terrible about painting flowers. And so one of my Christmas gifts was a monthly flower arrangement. Oh, wow. And I feel like I'm going to try to if I just paint one a month, you know, or try to draw and sketch it a couple different times that I might get more mileage out of it other than a beautiful mm. vase full of flowers. And so that's one little thing that I'm going to attempt. We'll see how that goes. So I'm keeping the, the st studio goals just really granular and showing up daily right now. But I imagine that over the course of the month, like once all of when the kids go back to school and things settle down in my household, some things may crystallize around that. But for now, granular, paint, draw, sketch daily. Nice. All right. On the table, food goals are tough. So what I've come up with, I want to make homemade gnocchi. So be gluten free which means I do need to go back to that simple pasta one because she had a recommendation 
for gluten-free flour from Italy. For pasta. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be good. I mean, a gnocchi is less pasty because it's all the potatoes. And so I think it might be a good starter carb <laughs> for me. So I do want to try that at some point. And then I want to work in a couple new ingredients. I haven't fully worked this one out, but like preserved lemon. I've never used it. And it is in a lot of, not a lot of recipes. It's in a great variety of recipes that always sound intriguing. And I'm like, eh, preserved lemon, I'm not going to do it. So I want to do something like that. And I am looking for other ideas. Ooh, so, okay. you know, go ahead, put it in the Instagram post or come on to Ravelry if you can and throw it in the thread there if you have any ideas of things that might be new or exciting or... I love that idea. I don't want to say there's not too many things that I haven't tried, but, you know, there are there are things out there or maybe things that I just haven't used as much or a new, you know, another new herb like we found sumac and zatar and, you know... New to us anyway. New to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's my food. Okay. I talked to my family about food, the food thing mm. because I feel like... It should be involved. Yeah, for sure. And one of my goals is to teach the boys how to cook a little bit more and not just the things that they want to cook, but, you know, branch out a little bit from a grilled cheese quesadilla type thing. But on the whole... I would like to cook less often, mm. not less, just less often. So going back to maybe a little bit of batch cooking or something that is more component driven, I had, I was doing really great with that. And then I've fallen back into the, you know, it's three o'clock. What am I going to cook for dinner tonight? I've, I haven't been good about meal planning because that sounds like, not fun to me, but um, I love it. <laughs> Monica loves it. And it does free up time for me to paint. So I do want to find a way to cook less often. You know or, what's good for that? Beans. <laughs> that requires me setting a goal. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to set a bean goal. Oh my gosh. Doesn't have to be a goal. Make a night bean night or every other week. Put it right. on your calendar. Wake up in the morning. So throw the soak them, yeah, yeah, and then they're ready to cook. Right. Do you have an instant pot? I and, do not. I okay, have. A, you have a slow cooker. I have a slow cooker, and I have Dutch ovens. Yeah, I mean, slow cooker would be more hands off because that way it's downstairs doing its thing, and not right your stove going right. while you're upstairs. Yeah, I'm so helpful. You're so helpful. My other goal for real, is to make myself nicer lunches. Mm. And this too is in service of my art practice because I am really terrible about taking time for myself to like make myself a nice thing if I've got like a good painting mojo going. Mm. But then come one o'clock and I'm starving, then I'm like... I that just, ruins the flow. Yeah, so we were watching one of those Netflix cooking shows and they went to like a Tibetan, I think it was a monastery and it was basically like temple food. It's just mostly vegetarian or predominantly vegetarian. Temple food is, is not just food in the temple. It's food for what you're trying to do. And so make it a little bit artful and feed your body 
And then you can go and continue to do the artful things that you want to do. Mm. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of. By this, I mean, take the time to make sure that I have the beautiful salad things that I like and a tin of sardines and maybe some soaked beans if they're going to, if they're, if they're soaking or yeah. soaked, whatever, build myself a nice salad or put together a beautiful sandwich. That is how I love to eat. I love to eat that way and, and make myself a plate. I haven't been good about doing that. If my husband is home, for sure, I do these beautiful little lunches for the two of us. Why don't I do that for myself? I don't know. I don't know, but I should, and I'm going to try to do that. So for now, it'll be easy when I've got like house guests and kids still home and that kind of thing. So it probably will will manifest itself a little bit more in mm-hmm. February when I'm truly home during the day by myself. It's the most excited I've been about a food goal in a long time. So... Mm-hmm. That is what I'm going to do. Cool. Do you think you could, like, if you prepped things before you went up to do your work? Is yeah. That, part of the, that feels think, like that would, like, then it's there. It's ready. Right. It's prepping things even the night before. Yeah. Like you would if you were going to work. Yeah. And I think I've just gotten kind of lazy that, oh, I can just go downstairs and eat some cottage cheese on some toast or, like, yeah. cr- whatever crackers around. Because toast is too much work. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I just, but then come dinner time, I'm starving because I haven't done, had my temple food. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's going to take a little bit of forethought, components, preparation, and maybe, maybe like look at a recipe or two and not have it be a cold thing. Because sometimes I want like a warm yeah. lunch. How amazing would that be to have a warm lunch that I made for myself that... I do have several lunch cookbooks. Really? Yeah. A lot of them were like kids' lunches. Oh, but I do have the Cook 90. You should look at that because there's a whole lunch section in there as well. I That's mean, not just cold stuff. It would be incredible to have my own little bento box. and Yeah. That would be a really artful type of lunch. Yeah. So anyway, stay Fun. tuned. I like that. It's a good one. On the nightstand. So for Christmas, my husband got me a subscription to the New Books from Ireland book club from our local West Portal bookstore. That is so cool. Yes. So I think it's it's unclear. I think it's throughout the year. It's not every month. I think it's maybe six times. So it's new books. But for the first month, we got two books. So one of them is from Claire Keegan? Yes. Her new one. Ah, it's on my so list. So I'm very excited about that. So my my main goal is to keep up with these books and to not let them just sit in a pile because that's what happens when I actually own a book or borrow it for someone. It gets pushed down because I have my library books, which I know are going back. So I do I did want to participate in this book club. It's not a book club, it's just like book of the month thing. So I do want to keep up with these books because they sound really good. So I'm excited about that. And then I am trying out Storygraph, which is an alternative to Goodreads. I'm going to keep up my Goodreads just because it's easy and I can, my and books you get autom- such good data. I do. Well, so their thing is they are independent. So their theory is better recommendations based on what you're reading. You can, you can do half stars. You can do quarter stars. There's more 
options for moods and like character development, pace of the book, the things they're looking at to give you recommendations are a little bit different. And they have a couple of reading challenges for the year. So I've signed up for, well, one of them is just for January. It's, it's, and it's to get people to actually read. It's like, can you read at least a page of day? Yes. Yes, I can do that. And there's prizes involved in that one. So that was why I'm kind of doing that one, because obviously I do not need to read more in my life. I am fine on that, but it's kind of fun to, to see what I'm reading. So the two main ones that I'm doing, there is a genre challenge and a read the world challenge. And they give you 10 prompts for each. You know, it's just kind of to expand your horizons out of whatever genre you normally read or the the English language fiction that most of us or at least I mostly read. And the, the and they both kind of fit in with my past goals. For the genre, it's like half fiction, half nonfiction. And uh, some of them I am super not excited about. <laughs> I will be honest. I mean the the genre, the uh, fiction choices I'm all I'm all in. That's pretty easy. It's there's a nonfiction about a like a business like a business star. Oh, some weird like business thing. I was like, I don't I don't care. But there, you are encouraged to to work, work around, and you know push the limits, and maybe maybe look at like a a nonprofit, some you know someone that started a nonprofit or something like that. So I will make it work, and if I don't finish it, there's no no one's coming after me. So and then the read the world. Uh, it's ten countries, and ideally, it's a book takes place in that country by an author of that country. So that'll get me into my more of my translation books. So I'm excited about that. And I have my first one lined up for Argentina. Ooh. Yeah. I love that. And part of it, yeah, and I've been wanting to try out this platform for a while. And so this is, I feel like, a way to get into it. I might just use it for my challenge books and not do my whole, every book that I read on there. We shall see. I'm having a little bit of trouble figuring out how to navigate things on it. But it, it is amusing me at this point, and uh, I think the challenges will be be good. I was listening to What Should I Read Next, and she recommended an app. I thought maybe I mentioned it, but I have lost track of it now. And it was a website where you could go and type in your favorite literary fiction. I think it was just for literary fiction, and it would give you another great choice that might not be as popular or mm-hmm. or like a lesser known. Do you remember hearing about that? I don't. I haven't listened to her in a little while because I had too many books. <laughs> and I yeah. couldn't handle it anymore. But she did interview the Storygraph founder in a, a couple. Oh. Uh, I mean, I oh, feel like it was the, at least probably a year and a half, two years ago. I'll have to go um, find that. Is how I originally heard of it. And they, they do that. Like, so they're, they will give you mood. So they, they made a graph. So I imported a lot of my Goodreads books and they give you a mood, like when you were reading happy books and when you were reading sad books, March was apparently a very sad month for me. And then it's been up ever since then. I don't know what happened in March. I don't know, but it was a little bit darker. So it's, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Like the stats that they, they come up for you huh. are kind of interesting cool. in that way. And they will give you recommendations and you can put in all sorts of things and they will pull up books. So there were, I did a, a couple of recommendations. I think for me, it's hard to think about because I do read kind of a variety of things. And what I think of mostly is a lot of fantasy and romance and, but, uh, but I can find those. And so what I want is something like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And I don't right. know exactly how to pull out the descriptors 
to get more stuff like that. Yeah. So that's a work in progress as well. Interesting. How about you? Any ideas? My ideas. So last year, you know, I had the groundbreaking thought to read less and achieved mission accomplished. It doesn't feel like an achievement, but like I said, in service of painting, it did. This year, I think I have a good pace, like a couple books a week, give or take. I would like it to be a little bit more, but that also is super driven by, is it a big monster? Like I'm reading the history of Britain right now. That thing is a thousand pages. It's going to take the rest of the month, even if I'm on it. And so I do notice that I'm dipping in and out of books a little bit, and I'm just going to keep chugging away at it. I love to read. That's never going to go away. And it's going to ebb and flow depending on what else I'm doing. My big idea in this category, though, for this year is to listen to some author interviews. And I kind of spoilered this back when I was talking about National Kidney Foundation, Mm -hmm. that luncheon that I attended and was so fascinated listening to, and not necessarily just the authors that I'm reading, but unexpected authors or authors that I wouldn't necessarily come across. And you have since provided me with a couple good resources for this, for finding author interviews. Yeah. Let's make sure we put those in the show notes in case. Other yeah. Because I love like the California book club one is fantastic. Yes. And I found a couple BBC ones that are really great. Oh, nice. Of course, NPR is my go-to. I, I love the author interviews that NPR publishes. And I, I think that the ones in conversation are what's most compelling to me right now because it gives me a sense of their spoken voice. And this is clearly a medium that, <laughs> that works for me, us. I'm not trying to do just podcast interviews I'm open to YouTube or a, or a written interview, or I find that authors are a little bit more short-winded in a written interview because they'd rather be writing their own stuff. And maybe that's just the handful that I've been looking at in service of this, this idea. But I think what I'll, I'll probably share them, you know, in brief going forward when we're talking about books, you know, in case people are interested in finding it. There might be a nugget or two, but it's the yeah, yes, please. It's really the creativity I'm always, always seeking, and so I think it's really generous of any kind of artist or musician or knit designer or really anybody who is making and creating to share their process. That is endlessly fascinating to me. So that's I'm focusing on authors, but. I'm open. I am open to it all. Excellent. All right. Well, I hope everyone is having a good start to their 2023. Stay tuned if you want to hear more detail about some of the other books that I read. There is some funny stuff in there. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, everyone. I am back for your extended on the nightstand section. All right, so as I said, I read a bunch of Christmas-themed books, several murder ones and a couple of romance ones. So I'll start off with the murder ones. 
The first two I actually listened to, The Christmas Cupcake Murder by Joanne Fluke and Murder in the First Edition by Lauren Elliott. Both of these are parts of larger series, so if you enjoy these ones, there are plenty more for you. The Christmas Cupcake Murder features Hannah Swenson, and this is number 26. So, as I said, plenty to read. She owns a bakery in Minnesota, in a small town, of course. So this book, you also get several cupcake and cookie recipes, which is not so fun if you're listening to it, but luckily there is a forward button. Hannah likes to solve mysteries. Um, This one was actually not a murder mystery. A man shows up in town and he has amnesia, so they're trying to figure out who he is and what happened to him, because he does seem to have been injured. And so you get all of her family... And I think this one is actually like is a prequel to a lot of the other mysteries. They tell you where it's happening in the larger scheme of things. But since I hadn't read any of them, it didn't really matter. When she is not solving mysteries, she is trying to decide if she is more in love with the local police detective or uh, another young man who I believe is a dentist or something in the medical field. So there's a little bit of romance along with the mystery and plenty of baking. And in Murder in the First Edition by Lauren Elliott, this is the third book in the series that is currently up to eight. Uh, so again, plenty, plenty of reading there. Addie Grayborn is in a small town in Massachusetts. She owns a bookstore that I think she inherited from maybe her aunt. She is trying to solve the murder of the local director of a hospital charity as well as trying to find a missing first edition of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That's the the Christmas part of it. And when she is not poking her nose into murdery business and trying to solve them, she is trying to decide if she is more in love with the local police chief or the local medical examiner. So I found that pretty amusing. And maybe it's just a trope in this, this type of murder mystery book. But there it is. And then the other one that I read was Christmas is Murder by C.S. Shalinor, which is part of the Rex Graves series. And I think there's several in this one. He is a lawyer up in Scotland or like a uh, public prosecutor, I think, DA kind of kind of guy for the American listeners. And he has headed down to England to spend uh, Christmas at the home of his mother's childhood friend uh, that has been turned into a hotel. The home, not the mother's friend. She's fallen on hard times and has turned her country estate into a very exclusive hotel. And so Rex arrives right as a snowstorm blocks everyone off, shuts off the power, all that good stuff. And when he arrives, he finds that one of the guests has died the previous night. And everyone thinks it was just a heart attack, bad health. He was kind of on the older side. Um, but one of the guests is an EMT and tells him he thinks it wasn't a heart attack, but was in fact poison. So Rex starts to look into it. Other guests start dropping dead. Of course, he is on the case. Um, I enjoyed all of these. The The ones I listened to were very light and fluffy, possibly a little bit too fluffy for me, but Christmas's Murder was, you know, had that nice classic English country house feel that I very much enjoy. But all were quite amusing and and Christmassy. And then for the romance ones, first was A Very Merry Bromance by Lissa K. Adams. This is the fifth in her Bromance Book Club series, which is very amusing. It revolves around a group of men who live in Nashville, Tennessee, I believe. They're all wealthy, somewhat famous, lots of professional sports players, 
celebrity chef, tech genius, and in this case, a country music star. And they all get together and read romance novels as a way to improve their relationship and to be better partners for their wives and girlfriends. And they end up becoming better friends to their male friends and just better people in general. So it's very sweet. It's a very sweet series that I enjoy a lot. Um, so this one, Colton and Gretchen, who is a immigration rights attorney, have a scorching hot one night stand and then she ghosts him and he doesn't understand why. He thought it was great. He thought this could be the beginning of something special, but her decision, he tries to move on. They meet up again a year later. Uh, her family has a whiskey empire and they want Colton to be the new brand spokesman and ask her to approach him. Of course, sparks fly, shenanigans ensue, all that good stuff. Lots of Christmas. Gretchen is kind of a, a has a grumpy personality for various reasons and is not very fond of Christmas and Colton sets out to change her mind. Uh, so very sweet, lots of hot chocolate and and uh, Christmas trees and, and that kind of thing. And then Just Like Magic by Sarah Hogel. Betty is uh, an influencer who is very wealthy and from a kind of famous family, um, but she has lost all of her money and has been hiding out for the past year in small town in Colorado, near where her very famous grandparents live. But she hasn't told anyone that she's lost all her money because she thinks they'll be upset and look down on her and whatnot. But now it's Christmas and everyone is to put in a command appearance at the grandparents and she doesn't know what to do. Uh, so she's having a bad night. She accidentally plays Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You backwards. She summons the Christmas spirit. He goes by Hall because holiday spirit and he is there to imbue her with holiday spirit. So it's very cute. He can do magic and, you know, make it snow and make people better ice skaters and redecorate the house with wreaths and baubles and, and all that good stuff. Again, another another grumpy girl who has to, you know, get to appreciate Christmas. It was a very sweet romance as well. Yeah, I'm not, I, I will say I was shedding a few tears at the end. And this one is not part of a series, although it is not uh, Sarah Hogel's first book. So I might have to go back and check out and see what else she has written because this was it was very sweet and enjoyable. And then for my regular murder mysteries, So Pretty a Problem by Frances Duncan. These were, I think, written in the 1950s and then re-released about five years ago. I read Murder for Christmas was the first Christmas one that I read, and I really enjoyed it. So I got a couple more on audio from Hoopla because it's fabulous. So this one, Mordecai Tremaine, is our detective. He is a retired shop owner who happens to know some police officers, and so he gets to work with them and kind of a cross between Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, I would say. So in this one, he's on vacation in Cornwall and we've got a locked room mystery. It's actually a whole entire locked house. There's a whole cast of characters. Uh, it's very interesting and I enjoyed it a lot. And in fact, I'm listening to yet another one uh, right now. Well, not right now. I'm talking to you right now, but when I'm listening to an audiobook, that is what I'm listening to. And then the other one was Murder at Black Oaks by Philip Margolin. This is the one, it's part of the Robin Lockwood series, and I picked it up because I heard that he had tried to cram every single mystery murder trope into it that he possibly could to see what, what happened, and I would say he did a good job. So we have, again, a locked room, we have a big country house, it has some ghosts and haunting and curses, there's a big storm that traps all the inhabitants into the house. There's an insane asylum down the road with an escaped prisoner, because uh, it's for the criminally insane. 
So there's there's all sorts of things. It was a pretty it was a pretty I mean the the mystery was good. There were two sort of additional mysteries at the beginning and the end, which was a little confusing to me. But the actual the main part of it was good. Robin Lockwood is a nice strong female character. She's an attorney in Portland, Oregon. This is another one where I might pick up a couple more of these books to listen to and see see what I think. Uh, and then as far as regular romance, Paris Dallincourt is ready to crumble by Alexis Hall. This is the second in his, I forget what the series is called, but it's where the, the romance people are on a reality baking show based on the Great British Bake Off. This one in many ways was a typical Alexis Hall. I laughed till I cried. And then I just cried because I was feeling all the feelings really adorable romance, plus some bonus great recipes at the end. However, there is a lot of other stuff going on in this, which kind of pushes it right to the edge of being a romance. Paris is our main character, and he is suffering from an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. And he's narrating it. So you get the hamster wheel of his brain, which is exhausting and I imagine is much like having an anxiety disorder, which is not something that everybody wants to read. And it does have a more or less happy ending. <laughs> he gets treatment, he realizes what's going on and, and how to how to handle his situation much better. But it is it is a lot. And he's kind of a poor little rich kid character. So uh, I would say maybe 50% of the reviews on Goodreads were not happy with this book, and didn't feel that it was actually a romance. And I can't entirely disagree with them. I really enjoyed this book. I think it's a great story and part of it because it isn't just a romance. But if you wanted to get into the Lexus Hall catalog, this would not be the book to start with. Then Fantasy Books, Book of Night by Holly Black. This is her first adult novel. Uh, she's done a lot of YA, I believe. And there was still a little bit of a tinge of that. Charlie was a thief and a con artist, and she is trying to go straight. But she lives in a world where there is shadow magic. People's shadows can come alive and they can control them and it grants you all kinds of power, obviously. And Charlie doesn't have that power, but she has worked with these people. But she's trying to get her life back together. She's got a lovely new boyfriend. Her sister is starting college. But all these things cost money and she gets slowly sucked in, back into the world of shadow magic and thieving. So it's an adventure book. It's pretty long. There was a lot of, of slow build, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And then I got to the end and found out it's the first in a series. So that's always a little frustrating. But, um, you know, I've got, a, I've got a year probably to go till the next one comes out. And I am looking forward to seeing what happens to Charlie. And then Before Your Memory Fades by Toshikaza Kawaguchi, translated by Jeffrey Trusolo. This one I listened to. This is the third one in the series with the magical cafe in Japan where if you sit in a particular chair and drink a cup of coffee, you can travel through time. Uh, there are several rules, though. You cannot leave the chair. So you can only, if you wanted to meet someone, they have to have been someone who came to the cafe at some point, and that's when you can go see them. You won't be able to change anything that has happened. So if you think you're going to go back and warn somebody about something, it won't matter. And finally, you have to finish drinking your coffee before it goes cold, or you'll be stuck there and become a ghost. So each book deals with four people that make this trip. And the stories are all linked through the 
regulars at the cafe and the owners and the, the servers. And there's, there's usually a through line. This book was really hard. It was entirely people who were, who wanted to see people who had died. Um, so it, it was not a happy book. You know, the guy whose wife had died fairly young and uh, a girl whose mom had passed away when she was really little, you know, and so they, they had unresolved issues, things they needed to find closure for. So I, it's a beautiful book like as the other ones are, but this one was a little little bit harder to get through. And then Into the Riverlands by Nevo, I think I said in the in the main part that this is just one that you I think everyone needs to read these series. They're really short, about a hundred pages. Uh, and again, it's a cycle you can you can read them in any order. This is the story of wandering cleric, and they are wandering the land that is kind of China. I think it's based on China and its myths and stories. They are gathering stories. That is their job. The order collects all the myths and legends of the land. And so in this one, the cleric is traveling through the Riverlands, which is known for its robbers and monsters and thieves. So they meet up with uh, several other travelers who are going to the same town, and they agree to travel together for extra safety. And they tell stories that they know from the region. Uh, and then they have some adventures and then some more stories. And Nevo is just such a great storyteller. It's just really beautiful and magical, but not. It's it's a very in, one of those really interesting mixes. Uh, and I just really enjoy this. So far, it's a trilogy. I'm not sure if there's going to be more. I hope there is, but uh, I don't know. And then finally, The Last Crown by Elisabetta Cherniskaya. Translated by Maya Zaksruska Pim. This is the second in a pair of books about Sigrid the Haughty, who this is uh, historical fiction, I should say, and she was the uh, Polish princess, and then Queen of Sweden, and then Queen of Denmark, Norway, and England, and her sons were kings of Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and England as well. And yet, we really don't know very much about her. A lot of what exists in the historical record, there are different names used. Uh, a lot of it is from the sagas. So that's always kind of, you know, how how historical is this actually? So Elisabetta has done uh, a really cool job of taking the possibilities and making a coherent story and working it into the actual narrative. And so a lot of the... English, Danish, uh, Scandinavian parts of the story I was relatively familiar with, but she also goes into the formation of Poland and the Holy Roman Empire, Germany, Central European history that I really don't know anything about. So that part was really interesting. You really go back and forth between Sigrid and her brother, who ends up being the first king of Poland. We've got Russians in there. I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on. So big honkin' historical fiction epic. So if if that is your your thing, this would this might be a good one to check out. Thanks for listening. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at c o r t n e y s f. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.